Welcome, good to have you, especially if you're a first-timer here. Thanks for taking the risk to, to show up. If you're watching online, doing some recon, seeing what this whole thing is about, we would love to have you join us in person very soon as well. Make yourself to home. Um, you know, we're, we're in this message talking about uh, Paul's farewell to the elders. We're at the end of his third missionary journey. He's going to say goodbye to these elders. And it got me thinking about the kind of leaders that are needed in the church. And there's, there's always a lot of talk about what kind of leadership you need to have, but a lot of it comes from a very secular perspective, uh, a lot of business concepts and things like that, but really our, our concept of leadership comes from scripture, which is very different often, and we've seen so much damage done to the church overall throughout, throughout the country, throughout the world, uh, done by bad leaders. Uh, I think they've done more damage from within the church than any kind of outside enemies could ever do to us. Uh, we, uh, so disillusioning. You've seen it. So, so many fallen leaders, failures, scandals, and it's just kind of depressing to see where leadership has gone. But even, even apart from those big cases of celebrity pastors, even in small churches where you have one guy as the pastor kind of running everything as more or less a benevolent dictator, you know, um, that's just not a biblical view of leadership. So I think it really is critical that we have a plurality, many good leaders in the church, men who are qualified by their faith, by their, their integrity, and thankfully, I believe our church has men like that. Uh, we call them the elders, and I would like to bring out the elders right now so you could get them, get to know them a little bit better. We have four of our other five elders. I'm one of the elders as well. Kenny Tomlite couldn't be here. He is out of town uh, this weekend, but we have our other four guys out here, uh, Greg Bobrick, Keith Whitehouse, Chad Habermel, and Jeff Prong. Uh, so you're aware the way we choose elders is the current el elders would invite certain men to, uh, to become an elder, you know, we'll go through training. We look for those who are already serving. They've they got those biblical qualifications of character, of biblical knowledge, of faithfulness, and um, they've got to be a Christian of at least two years. They've got to be a member of our church at least one year. The congregation votes on who the elders will be, and they serve for a three-year term with the option to serve a second three-year term before they have to rotate off for a year. They can be removed for just cause if they're, you know, uh, have immoral character or they have a divisive attitude or they're teaching false doctrine in any way. So with that, I want you to get to know these guys. And uh, you see them up here sometimes doing talks and uh, communion meditations and laying hands on people, setting them apart for a service. But Greg Bobrick has uh, been here a long time. So we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about, uh, and very little because, you know, okay. Uh, <laughs> I got to talk today too. Um, so tell us about how long have you been an elder, a little bit about your family, your, what you do for a living. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've been at South Point for 26 years. I've been an elder for 11 years, roughly. Um, actually, I came, me and Kenny were set apart at the same time. Um, I met my lovely wife of almost 24 years here, and uh, we have five kids and four grandchildren. And I work as an engineer for an um, automotive company. 
Yeah, and his wife Cindy was the one up here, you know, earlier when the stand was like that. That's his wife. Okay, Keith is our longest-serving elder. How many years have you been an elder now? Well, honestly, I kind of lost track, <laughs> but it's at least twelve. At okay? least, yes. So, um, yeah, my family. So I've been married to a wonderful woman for forty-seven years now, and uh, Sue, and she's been very active here at church. We've been here a little over twenty years. I would say we got two kids. Uh, our daughter is in Grand Rapids, married there. She's a nurse practitioner. So the rule at our house is don't ask Bethany anything about work before dinner. <laughs> and then I've uh, got a, a son, Kyle, and he and his wife just moved to Ypsilanti. Fun fact about them, they just spent and came back from Taiwan after three years. He got his master's there, and she was teaching English there. So actually, um, I don't do anything right now. I'm retired, <laughs> but I used to work for uh, OEM here as an engineer. Yeah. All right. Cool. And then, oh, so these are you know two of our longer serving ones. These are our two newest serving ones. So uh, Chad, uh, how long have you been an elder now? Three weeks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your your. Uh... Yep. So I've been uh, married to my wife, Jessica, for 16 years. Uh, she's been on staff, volunteered here for quite a, quite a few years. Uh, we've been here about 17 years. Um, and I work, also work for an automotive supplier, and I run the accounting department there. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see Chad up in the band uh, a lot of weeks as well. And Jeff is also one of our newest elders. You've been an elder for three weeks as well, but you have a little bit of experience before coming to South Point. How long were you an elder at your previous church? Uh, about 44 years. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit about your, yourself, your family, what do you do? Uh, so uh, I've been married to my wife, Vicki, for a little over 51 years. Uh, we have two kids, Matt and Angie. Uh, in fact, Matt's on the security team here. They're both members and their families, uh, and I work for SCA Transport, driving truck. Yeah. Hoping to retire soon. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, so now just throw this open. Whoever wants to answer whatever order, doesn't matter, but what do you do here? I mean, what does an elder do? I'll go first. Okay. So um, we're, we're servant leaders who try to uh, live by God's word and the way Christ lived, right? Um, obviously, we don't do that. We do that the best we can. Um, and then we're, we're set apart to uh, help with the, the, the welfare of the church, to, to help the people. Um, we also have meetings um, monthly at a minimum. Uh, we have an agenda. We pray. We go through some books, have a discussion. Um, last year, we had uh, a few more meetings because of the un-multi-siting. Um, but yeah, we do do a lot of thing, things here for the people here in the church. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of oversight over, yeah. over things. So yeah, we, we look after the uh, doctrine, the direction, discipline, and we are the uh, discerners and guardians here. Yeah, yeah. There's more. What else? What else you got? Yeah, we uh, partner with uh, Brett and also uh, oversee what's going on there. We are the ultimate uh, uh, authority for uh, what goes on in the church and making sure things are scriptural. Yeah. So the buck stops with the elders. So when things are going wrong, you can't just blame me is what I'm saying. <laughs> and Chad, how is, 
how has your experience been so far? Uh, what, what are you seeing so far about what elders do? Uh, so we do pastoral care, pray for people. Uh, you know, we make hospital visits. Uh, we serve as trustees of the church, uh, and we propose the budget to you guys for approval. So what, haven't been doing it long, but so far, what do you, what do you enjoy about it, or what, and or what do you view as challenging? Yeah, I think, I mean, so far, haven't done a whole <laughs> lot in three weeks, but uh, getting to know the, my fellow elders, uh, praying with them, uh, like Greg said, we, we have meetings, so uh, just getting to know them and getting to know what it means to be an elder. Yeah, and we, we had an elders and wives dinner Friday night, and you probably got to know us a little bit too much, yes. too well. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> so Jeff, how about you? Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you enjoy or things that are challenging well, to you? I really enjoy uh, seeing people come to Jesus Christ and be baptized. That's really a, a great thing. Uh, watching what, what happens there and yeah. all so forth. And, uh, you know, having discipline and so forth, having to keep things scriptural and sometimes reprimand people when they're not following the right ways. So yeah, that that's kind of a sticky situation. Yeah, that can be tough. Yeah, for sure. All right, how about you guys? What do you enjoy? What's a challenge? Uh, okay, yeah, so uh, I enjoy the people. Honestly, like Chad says, you know, we do pastoral things. We pray for people. So uh, I enjoy helping people out, seeing them encouraged. Uh, as far as challenging, my most challenging thing, actually, is being up here speaking to you. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, again, challenging is the people. People can be messy. Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult to do that. Now, it's none of you, by the way, so relax. <laughs> The ones that are absent today, they're the problem people in the church, yes. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, it's the people um, uh, winning, winning souls for Christ, right? Uh, teaching people uh, to, to share the word as well. And I would say the, one of the challenges is the culture we, we live in now, it's not very biblical. So we have to deal with a lot of issues and help people understand what, what God's word says about uh, how things should be, that there is a truth, right? Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, pr I appreciate these guys. I mean, you see them up here every once in a while, um, but they do a whole lot of stuff behind the scenes as well. And so they, uh, they deserve your, your prayers and your support, and we, we really appreciate and thank you guys for all you do. So thank you. You know, I hope we have have more men in the church that would aspire to be elders. But whether you ever aspire to be an elder or not, you should aspire to have the character of an elder, no matter who you are as a Christian. And that's our main point in today's message is stay true to God, His Word, and His mission. That's what we're talking about. On, Paul is being on mission. He's going to finish it out. So if you're carrying, you're going to want to open your Bible to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 37. We're going to get a little bit into chapter 21 as well. Uh, of course, if you don't have uh, a Bible with you, you've got a screen. Most people will carry a phone, and on your phone you can uh, go online to BibleGateway.com or BibleHub.com, all kinds of places where you can read the Bible online. You can download the Version app. A lot of you have that Y-O-U version. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, if you would like to read along with me. But I think it's really good to remind it of what good leadership looks like because it is becoming more of a rarity. And it's what, what our text is about today. And it's very relevant to any who are seeking to go out and be on mission and carry out the Great Commission to make disciples. And really remember there are two parts to the Great Commission. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's evangelism. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, which is about 
education, exhortation, edification, building them up in Christ. And we're all on a mission to do that, both as a church, in a local way, in a personal way, each one of us, and globally, which is why it's Mission Month. So this is why you need to hear this message today. We've been going through Acts 19 and 20, third missionary journey of Paul, strengthening the churches that he helped start. Uh, He has been going around leaving these churches now in the hands of others because he believes this is the last time he's ever going to visit them. He's going to say farewell to the Ephesian elders because he had spent nearly three years with these guys. Long time. So let's get the map back up on uh, the screen again one more time to remember Paul started out his journey on the east side, the right side of the map. The city of Antioch is where he left from. He traveled overland westward throughout that province called Asia that uh, is made up of other regions there, Lycia, Pamphylia. Today that would be the nation of Turkey. He goes town to town until he arrives on the southern west coast. You see Miletus there. Ephesus is not on this particular map. Ephesus is right by Miletus, about 30 miles away. That's the huge city where he had spent nearly three years. Uh, but he have, remember there's a riot. Uh, they pretty much have to drive him out of town uh, to get him to leave, and that's what he does. He, he heads north up the coast there along to Troas and then crosses over the sea to the European peninsula there of, of, of Macedonia and Achaia. Another word for Achaia is Greece. He travels down from all these churches he started earlier, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. He goes all the way down into Corinth, and from Corinth, he is going to sail back to where he began from. Uh, He's been carrying this huge offering, money that's been collected for the poor saints in Jerusalem. So he's got a posse with him who are providing some security and integrity in the handling of funds, but there's a plot against his life, so he doesn't get a sail back. Instead, he has to retrace his steps where he came from northward. He travels back up through that Greek peninsula, crosses over from Philippi back to Troas in uh, the area of Asia, hops some ships and sails along the coast down through Asos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos. He arrives at Miletus. That's where we left him last week. If you've missed any of those previous messages, you can watch them online or listen to the podcast. But we're going to pick back up there uh, in verse 17 of chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Why? Because he doesn't have time to go to Ephesus. Again, it's about a day's journey away, 30 miles. Uh, He wants to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost so he could deliver this big offering to all the Christians there. So uh, instead of going to them, he calls for the elders to come to him. Notice he doesn't call for the pastor, just this one guy in charge of the church because that's not the biblical way. The elders were the leaders of the church and they're going to represent the whole church coming to Paul. In fact, there's different words for the same role. Sometimes churches will have elders, that's one thing, presbyters, or or, um, they'll have uh, bishops, overseers, they'll have pastors, they have, no, it's really all the same thing. It's not these hierarchy of, of roles. It's all the same kind of function. See, it's not about titles. It's about what you do. See, an elder is, uh, the, the word there would be presbyteros, and you hear it in the word presbyter or presbyterian. It's the idea of an older man, but not necessarily old in age, but old, old in maturity, experience, wisdom, stability, a man of honor, Uh, But that doesn't tell you what he did. The other two words tell you what he did. He's an overseer, and the word for that is episkopos. 
Uh, we would translate that as a bishop. It's somebody who oversees what's going on in the church, making sure it's staying on track, being taught the right things, uh, over, you know, overseeing the coordination, the planning, the programming, the evaluation of everything going on in the church. And in verse 28 is where he talks about overseers being the same role. And in the same verse, he talks about shepherding the flock. So the word for shepherd is poimenos, and we often translate it as pastor. You hear it in pasture, to pasture sheep. So it's all the same guys who are providing this guidance, this protection, this leading and feeding and, and helping. It's guys who are qualified biblically, First Timothy 3, Titus 1. They have to have all these kinds of spiritual qualifications. So in other words, it's crucial, it's vital that we choose very good leaders that fit this biblical position. So verses 18 and 19 say, and when they came to him, to Paul, he said to them, so he's going to start his actually kind of a long um, farewell address he gives them here. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So first he's going to talk about the past, and remember how I've been faithfully serving. Then he's going to switch in, in his address to talk about his present feelings toward them, but he's going to end with a warning about the future. So he starts saying, remember, I came here from day one. I've been serving the Lord uh, in, in the right way. Um, I'm doing it for him. That's why I want to do a good job. That's why I, I want to keep going. So he's got pure motives, pure motives, spiritual motives. He's not doing it uh, to gain power and prestige and possessions for himself. He's living an exemplary life, and that deserves respect. Uh, that deserves a hearing. He's not one of these religious celebrity pastors that we see today. Very humble guy, a lot of tears shed over the people. Why? It doesn't say, but obviously sorrow over stuff they had been going through, uh, whatever pain, whatever problems they had to deal with, maybe tears over their sins and their, their backsliding and their rejection, tears at the funerals. Being a church leader can bring a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow. And there's, there's trials he talks about. He talks about these plots. So the guy is, is never safe. He's always in danger. He's always, his life is always at risk. Now, you remember on this trip, as he, he goes all the way across Asia, down into the Greek peninsula, he's writing letters to these churches. So before he gets to Corinth, down at the bottom of the Greek peninsula, he writes a couple letters to them and tells them about what, he's going, what he just came out of in Ephesus. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Now, I don't know if those were literal like in the arena, or this is a metaphorical beast, but he's taking on some heavy-duty opponents, causing him a lot of trouble. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 1 to say, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So you see why all the tears, what he's putting up with? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. So God got him through all that, and in spite of all that, 
Paul stayed faithful. He taught them boldly. He didn't shrink back from telling them stuff that was going to be difficult for them to hear. Remember, he had to teach in the synagogue, and they finally basically ran him out of the synagogue. And uh, I think there are guys today that are afraid to teach anything boldly because they're going to offend somebody. They're going to upset somebody. If I teach that, they're going to leave. Paul said, that doesn't matter. I got to teach you what you need to know. I'm going to teach you hard truths, whatever is profitable for you that will help you live for Christ. And sometimes that's not popular and that's not pleasant, but that's what's profitable. And sometimes that involves discipline. In fact, the word disciple comes from discipline. Discipline's not easy, not fun. In fact, he talks about in verse 27 how I didn't withhold from you anything. I gave you the whole counsel of God. Everything you need to know. And he taught them openly, remember, in the, publicly from, uh, in the school of Tyrannus, but he also taught them from house to house, which would be like house churches. Today we'd say those are like uh, small groups and homes meeting. But he preached what? The gospel of grace. Verse 24, he says, preach the gospel of grace. And he says, I preach faith. I preach repentance. Again, both sides of the Great Commission. Faith and repentance, come to Christ, be baptized, evangelism. Teaching you to obey everything he's commanded you. So everything that you need to grow in faith, both parts are important. Both the the doctrines and the duties, the privileges and the responsibilities, the promises and the warnings. And teaching is so vital. That's my conviction is we need strong, solid teaching. If a church is going to be healthy, it needs good, strong teaching. So that's why I devote myself to make, make sure I'm teaching Practically every Sunday here, I teach Thursday night class. I teach a Sunday night online class. I do a Friday blog where I'm teaching some more because if we don't have good, solid teaching, that's where things go haywire. Things go off the rails. So now Paul's going to shift from talking about the past to his present feelings for them in verses 22 and 23. He goes on to say, uh, let's see if I can find it. And now behold... I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. In other words, I'm compelled by God to go, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So it would be much easier for me to not go, just to stay here with you, but I got to go where God wants me to go. They need me there. I know I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be in prison, but that's okay. I'm ready for anything. I'm going to go anyway. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So there's that I got to preach the grace of God. I got to get people saved. Got to bring them to heaven. No matter what, that's my calling. And so he's like an accountant. He's he's evaluating his assets and liabilities and says, you know what? I found Christ more valuable than my own life. I'm a steward of what God has entrusted to me, and I got to give an account to him one day. So uh, this special ministry of being an apostle, I want to make sure that I do it well that I do it right for him, which means I'm going to run this race. I'm a long-distance runner. I I haven't finished my course yet. I want to finish well. And even though it's going to be painful, you know, as I'm running, I'm getting pains in my side. The soles of my feet are on fire. I'm out of breath. I'm tired, but I can't quit because I want to finish well. Verses 25 through 27. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you, there it is, the whole counsel of God. 
Elders need to check themselves to make sure they're setting the example, they're setting the pace. And I want you to notice there as well, um, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's overseers again. Shepherd your flock, pastor, to care for the what? The church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So listen, um, he's saying, I still got work to do. I got, I'm, I'm finishing my time with you, but I still got to go on to Rome. I'm going to go on to Spain. We don't know if he ever gets to Spain, but you know, we know he gets to Rome because he's imprisoned in Rome. Now, he thought he was never going to get to see these people again, but it turns out if you read his letters to Timothy, it looks like he did finally get to see them again. He got to see some of the other places where he had started churches. But we're going to find out about 10 years after what we just read, he's going to go back to Rome for a second time as a prisoner where he will be executed. See, the book of Acts ends with Paul's first Roman imprisonment. But he actually has 10 more years where he's going to go back and have his head cut off. According to tradition, he'll be decapitated in Rome. He says, that's okay. The king sent me out to be a herald. I'm here to proclaim the message of Christ. I'm not going to withhold any of it from you. I'm going to give it to you full blast so that my hands are clean. I don't have any blood on my hands. I'm innocent because I've told you everything God told me to tell you. Now, that reminds me of Old Testament, prophet Ezekiel. God said, I have made you a watchman on the wall. You know, watchmen would look out for the city. They'd be up there, you know, scanning the horizon for any approaching enemies. And if they found one, they were supposed to get the word out to everybody to save the city, right? They blow the trumpet, make sure they knew. And then it was up to the people, whether to to run or to, to stay and fight. But either way, the watchman had done his job. But if the watchman saw an enemy coming and kept his mouth shut, didn't blow the trumpet, then their blood was on his hands. And that's a heavy responsibility for us to think that we, like Paul, are heralds, we are witnesses, we are watchmen who are called to let people know the truth, to warn them of the coming judgment, to point them to the way, the truth, and the life so they can make their own decision. And then it's on them. But if we fail, if we keep our mouth shut, we don't tell, then it's on us. We share in that responsibility, right? So that's, that's a heavy thing to, to consider. We don't want to have blood on our hands because of our indifference or ignoring our duty. No, you're not an elder. You don't have your own flock as a church, but you do have a flock. You have people in your life that you care for, your family, some folks in your community, your relationship, that you carry out your mission to. You lead them to faith in Christ. You help them to grow in Christ, right? You, you help, show them how to study the Bible. You model it for them. You set an example. You help them to take responsibility for their own growth. All Christians are called to do that. And then I want you to notice that Paul calls it the church of God. And in Romans 15, he, uh, 16, he also says, all the churches of Christ greet you. So in the Bible, you either call it the church of God or it's called the church of Christ or just the church. Why? Because that's who it belongs to. We don't find churches with the names of saints or denominational founders or methods or leadership structures or nationalities or any of that. They just go by the name of God or Jesus because it's his 
church. We don't want to wear anybody else's name. And by the way, he says, it's the church that God bought with his own blood. Who's that? Who, who shed his blood? That's Jesus. Jesus is God. Paul calls Jesus God because it's his blood. How did, how did he become the owner of the church? Because he bought it. The price was his blood, his sacrifice. You know, that, that's why it's such serious business not to mess around with the church because it belongs to Jesus. And you can't just do whatever you want and run it however you want. It's not yours. So this is serious, and it's serious to be a church leader. All right, so let's head back to verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So when Paul's away, the wolves will play. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So the idea here is there are going to be some wolves among you, some from outside, some from inside, false teachers. In fact, Jesus warned us about that too. Matthew 17, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Have your radar up for these guys. Because I think there are two different kinds of wolves that we find in the church. One is from the guys on the outside. The guys who come in and infiltrate the church. The people aren't paying attention. They come in and change the church. They misdirect the church. And the people let them do it. And these are the con men. These are the guys who never were Christian to begin with. They're just in it to gain influence and success and power and money. And these are like serial killers who are dressed as surgeons. They are high-functioning psychopaths who are very good at being charming and bullying and manipulating people. Watch out for those guys. Don't let them in. But sometimes they arise from within ones who are genuine Christians, and they start off with a good heart, good motives, but then they begin to gain more influence, bigger churches, more power, more money is involved, and it corrupts them. And um, they begin to do things that they would have never done before in order to keep it all and to expand it even more. And again, the people in the pews aren't even paying attention, and they're letting them get away with it. Jesus spoke about this in John 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, a hireling, and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. So these Wolves come in in sheep's clothing who care nothing for God's people, who care only for their own position and power and prestige and pleasures and pocketbooks because they're hirelings. They're not real shepherds. Jesus is the model for what a shepherd ought to be. Lays down his life for his sheep. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, we are called, church leaders are called under-shepherds meaning we're under the chief shepherd. We're supposed to be like him. In fact, the three terms for church leaders is used here in 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, do what? Shepherd, pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising what? Oversight, overseers, bishops, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, not in it for the money, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, like people in the world lead, their bosses, their bullies, no, but being examples to the flock. And when that chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So look, church leaders, we're not perfect, but we're supposed to be examples. We're supposed to be models of our great shepherd, right? Um, it's humble service. In fact, we're, we're, we're not supposed to exercise worldly domineering leadership, but we're like, we're a team and we're player coaches, player managers. Some of you remember the old days when a lot of times on a, on a major league sports team, uh, one of the players would also be the coach. Remember back in uh, uh, baseball, you had Ty Cobb, you had Pete Rose, they played and they coached at the same time. Or uh, in the NBA, you had Bill Russell, or in the NFL, you had George Hollis or Tom Landry, coached and managed. That's what it is in the church. The elders are players right along with you. But elders are supposed to know the word really well. They have to stand up for what's right and true. They have to stand against what's wrong and bad. They have to exercise sometimes church discipline when one of the sheep is, is going astray and causing all kinds of problems and corruption in the church with their false teaching, their divisive attitudes, or their continuing in unrepentant sin, elders are called to confront that. And it's not fun, and it's not easy, and it doesn't make us popular, but it has to be done for the good of the sheep to protect the church from that kind of corruption. Stay away from the goats and the wolves. In fact, Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we want to have good leaders who lead by example, who lead by teaching the word, who are able to help you detect false teachers out there because they're everywhere. Turn on your TV screen. You will find so many false teachers who are very popular and have large followings, but they're wolves. There are wolves outside and there are wolves inside the church. And it's easy to be deceived, to be swept away and swayed by their views because it all sounds good, but they're really ravaging and devouring the sheep. And these guys creep their way in and take over entire denominations and publications and conferences and colleges. And they get away with it. Why? Because there are too many sheep who instead of tracking these guys down and expelling them, actually encourage it, support them, defend them, and protect them. I don't get it, but that's what happens. And when sheep do that, they have actually joined the wolf pack. We need better discernment, guys, so that we don't get duped by all these, these guys with their sneaky lives. We need to get the wolves out of the church. Now, I'm seeing plenty of churches go off the rails these days, going into these very liberal, progressive doctrines, denying biblical teaching, who are promoting secular philosophies and uh, justifying sexual uh, immoral behaviors. They're woke, they're weak, they're watered down. They are denying, twisting, distorting, and revising the scriptures to suit themselves. So stay alert. We can't let them fool us. We can't afford to be indifferent or careless. Because Paul will later write to Timothy in Ephesus. He's talking to the Ephesian elders right now. Later on, we find out what happens there. Yep, 
Exactly what Paul says. Some guys rise up and they spread their corrupt, false teaching like gangrene. And he calls them out by name. He says, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus. These are the guys who are passing themselves off as apostles and they're wolves. In fact, about a half century later, the Apostle John will write to the same church in Ephesus, and he delivers a message from Jesus to them in the book of Revelation. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. So they're still, they're very good. They've listened to Paul. They're looking for all the false teachers. They're getting rid of them. I know you're enduring patiently. You're bearing up for my name's sake, and you haven't grown weary. All right, doing good. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So that's very easy to, to be on target, to be right, but to lose our love for the Lord. He's not the priority anymore. We kind of make Jesus, we put him on the back burner because that's our natural default. So we have to guard against that. And Paul says, I, I helped you for three years, guard you against false teaching, taught you the right things, admonished you, corrected you, rebuked you, all those things. And actually our next series, which begins uh, next week, I'm going to help you understand false beliefs out there to be able to confront that and to witness to people. We're, we're at, talking about what would God say to agnostics, to Jewish people, to Muslims, and to universalists. So bring somebody with you. Who's your one? Remember, you've got, who's your one? Have you written a name on one of the ping pong balls and put it in the arrow out there? The name of a family member or a friend, somebody in your flock, somebody that you're trying to reach for Christ or bring to church. Let's be praying for them. We've only got five weeks left and that arrow is only half full. So if you haven't written a name on a ball, do that after the service today. Easter's coming up quick. All right, let's head back to it. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul's like, it comes to a point where I just got to let you go and let God take care of you. And if you're a parent, you know how difficult that is when your kids grow up and they're out on their own. You just got to let them go and say that, you know, you're, you're in God's hands now. We did that with two campuses, right? We sent out a bunch of people here on Township, Allen Park, and now we just said, we commend you to God. <laughs> Go with God. God will look out for you. Because if you stay in the word of grace, that will build you up. That will keep you in the family of God so that you'll receive the inheritance, the reward of God's holy people. All right, verses 33 through 35, he says, Look, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Wasn't in it for the money. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. I worked for a living, take care of myself and those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So church leaders can never be in it for the money. First Timothy 3 says elders should not be lovers of money. Titus 1 says don't be greedy for gain. And though Paul deserved support, he supported himself. But church leaders are deserving of that support. That's missionaries are deserving of that. That's why we do this every year. We have a missions month and we take up an offering for these missionaries because they should receive their living from the church. In fact, Paul agrees in 1 Timothy 5, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. 
and a laborer deserves his wages. So he's actually quoting Jesus there. Yes, they should be supported, but they should work hard for it, make sure they're earning it, not be lazy. Any Christian leader who's getting rich off of ministry is misusing their position. And again, it confounds me how so many Christians send in their money, send in their money, these guys who are living the high life, living big as wolves. That is not how Jesus lived. That is not how Paul lived. True ministry is not about getting rich. It's about giving. Why? Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. Not materially rich, but rich in salvation and spiritual blessings. And he quotes Jesus again. It's more blessed to give than receive. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's blessed to receive when you're genuinely in need, right? Uh, sometimes you need that. But it's even more blessed to give. Why? Because it's, it feels good to give. It's, it's so satisfying and fulfilling. It's deeper than happiness because you're partnering with God in making a difference in people's lives. And there's a reward for that, too. You know, God supplies our needs. So we get all this and heaven, too. There's much more to come. But our motive in giving should never be in order to get. All right, we've got to finish it out here. Verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. When the last time you did that? Knelt down in prayer. And there was much weeping, more tears on the part of all. They embraced, they embraced Paul and they kissed him. That was you know, customary back then being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they wouldn't see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. So, it's last time, not going to get to see you again. I'll see you here, there, in the air. Right? I love that phrase. You know, next time I see you, you'll either be here or there in heaven because we'll both be dead or I'll see you in the air when Jesus comes back. Anyway, it's all good. There's going to be a great reunion but right now we got work to do. So stay true to God, to his word, to his mission. So they part at the dock. Paul goes on his way. One last time, let's bring up the map again. As we finish it out here, I want to go in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 21. So look on the map as I'm reading. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos. So you see below Miletus there on the western border of, of Turkey, Kos. And the next day to Rhodes, see Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Then we had come in sight of Cyprus. So Cyprus is that island out there um, that they passed by on the way to the coast, and the coast that Hoary would call, be called Phoenicia. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria which is in the northern part there where Antioch is, and, and Tyre, that's all that area. And uh, we landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And that is the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And that's where we're going to leave him until the next time we come back to the book of Acts. But that wasn't the end of his mission. He had a lot more to do. And we have a lot more to do as well, which is why I want to urge you one last time, today is the final day to give toward the missions we support. What you give this past week will support them for the entire entire year. So I encourage you to be as generous as you can. We talked about the three types of missions we support. First is church planting, best way to reach new people in new places. We talked about Impact Canada, starting churches in our northern neighbor, but also our own desire to start an independent church 
in, around the year 2028. 20, we talked about compassion, outreach, and meeting people's physical material needs in the ministry of IDES, IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services, which works all throughout the world through different churches and disaster relief, hunger relief, uh, community development, um, medical relief, uh, evangelism. And then we talked about... Um, the, the third category, which is global evangelism, all the other ways that we send out ministers and missionaries. We talked about his house, which is Michigan Christian Campus Ministries on 13 universities in the state. And we talked about uh, Brad and Tammy Harvey, who are with Heart for Central Africa, translating the scriptures into the language of a million Muslim people uh, there in Tanzania. How what you give also goes to support South Point members who are going to go off to Christian college, study for ministry or some other kind of Christian work. Done that in the past. We hope to do more in the future. And special appeals. When something urgent or very important comes up, we'll have some money on hand to help with those things. So um, th what you give today will make a, a big difference. It really does. So if you've already gave online throughout the week, thank you for that. But if you want to give today... Um, or give even more than you already have, you can do that in the boxes at the back or online through the app uh, as well. So thank you for your generosity in that. But most of all, I want to take care of some mission right now, and that's to, to share the good news with anybody who has yet to make Christ their Savior. You need to know that God loves you and He made you, but your sin separates you from God, which is why Jesus came to redeem you and reconcile you by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. So you need to respond in faith, with repentance, in baptism. And you'll receive forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. If you're ready to make that decision today, to rededicate your life, to join the church, or you just need prayer, come down in the next few moments as the music is playing or after the service is over, or text your name, email us, so that we can help you make the best decision ever. Let's pray about that. Father, we want to thank you for uh, our church and all the elders in our church, God, and uh, grateful for the example that they set and the way that they teach us and counsel us, God, keep them healthy, happy, and holy. And God, we thank you for the missions that we support, and we just want to be as generous as we can today as you have supplied us. We, we do it willingly and cheerfully and with a lot of joy and enthusiasm. We're excited about making a difference in the world because uh, we love you and we want to reach as many people as we can and take them to heaven. So God, we view this as a, as a privilege, something we get to do. Um, and Lord, we pray for any who need to make the decision to follow Jesus today, that you will move them to uh, give their, their whole life to you as you gave your life to us, Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Come on and see in church. Let's worship.